Well, isn't it good to be in the house of the Lord today? Amen? Yes, it's good to be with our brothers and sisters. If you've never been here before, we just want to say welcome. Welcome to Fourth Avenue. Um, You'll hear us say we are a family a lot, and that's what we're called to be as the church, right? The family of God, brothers and sisters, fathers and mothers, cousins, you know, all that. We are here today um, as family um, to celebrate and worship our God Um, And part of that is looking into his word and what is he saying for us. And so we're so thankful that you're here this morning. Um, I'm really grateful um, to be up here this morning. I was about to go and grab that other mic because I feel like I've been doing announcements and communion a lot. And I was like, where'd the mic go? Oh, yeah, I get to be like here in the middle. So um, if you don't know, I'm one of our student ministers here and um, just really thankful to get to serve this body um, and to get to love Um, this city of Franklin and beyond. And so I'm grateful you guys are here. If you haven't been with us, we are in this series, um, The Enemy, talking about our inner darkness and our vices um, that come against what kind of life we're supposed to live in Christ. Um, And this morning, um, I just want to pray before we get started um, talking about what we're going to be talking about today. So, Father, thank you so much um, for another day to live in your presence, for another day to be convicted by your word, for another day to worship as a family. God, I pray that we would have open ears, open eyes, open hearts to what you have to say to us today. Thank you again so much that we get the opportunity to gather um, to be your children and to worship you. Open our hearts in Jesus' name, amen. So this morning, I get the fun opportunity about talking about envy, right? We're gonna look at envy together. Um, And when Kyle uh, gave me some options of some dates and stuff like that, I didn't really know what I was getting myself into, um, where we'd be in October. And of course, as it happens, you know, the Lord does this all the time. It's like he gives you an opportunity to look at something that he wants you to look at, right? Looking in the mirror. Um, So we're going to talk about envy today. So if you're like, what is envy? When does it start? It starts pretty young for all of us. It starts when we're kids, okay? I want you to imagine this scenario. I don't have kids. I have nieces and nephews, and I get to be around a lot of children. But just think about this scenario. You've seen a parent or a guardian, give a child a toy or a snack, right? And they are loving it. They're like, this is mine. This is amazing. This is awesome. And then they look over and they see another kid or another child and they've got a different toy or snack. And all of a sudden they're like, what is this? You know, they throw it down and they look over and they're like grabbing for what the other person has. And of course the other person's like, well, this is mine, you know, like this is my toy, this is my snack. And then all of a sudden, like it hits the fan, right? They're like, oh, I want that, I want that one over there. I don't want what you gave me. And they just throw it away and they're screaming and they're having a fit and you're like, hey, remember I had a toy, I had a snack for you, like you were loving it. But in that moment, that kid cannot be consoled and all they can think of, they're not looking at what you have given them. They're looking at what that other kid has and they're like, I want that one. I don't really care what you've given me over here. I want that one, right? Has anybody ever seen that, experienced that? Your kids have done that. And you're like, hey, I love you. I've taken care of you. I've given you what you need. And they are just not having it in that moment. 
Some of us may not remember that of like us doing that as kids, but that's kind of where this all starts, right? For us, we are like, when we're, you know, first growing up, that's what we do. And we don't even recognize that it's something that just keeps growing in us. Now, hopefully as adults, um, we're not still over here like pitching fits and screaming saying, I want what that person has, right? If you are like, come see somebody after the service or something like, we'll talk through that. We'll maybe get you some counseling or something. But um, it comes up in different ways for us, right? As we grow and mature, it's not that envy goes away. We still struggle with it. We still grapple with it. It just hopefully looks different in how we, um, how we handle it, how it shows up in our lives. And that's what we're gonna look at today. But before we go um, on, I just wanna quickly like define envy. Like what is envy? Like that was an example. But envy is a feeling of discontented or resentful longing that's evoked by someone else's possessions, qualities, or luck. I love that definition because I thought it was really rich in language, right? It's evoking these emotions in us. We're resentful of what someone else has or we're longing for what someone else has. Or just simply put, right, it's the feeling that you wish you had what someone else has. Um, and also we kind of uh, maybe think of jealousy in this same camp um, as envy, but I wanna go ahead and distinguish between those two before we move on and get into our story this morning. Um, I really love Brene Brown. Um, she's somebody that like gets paid to research emotions and feelings. Um, and she had talked this about her recent book um, in Atlas of the Heart. And she was like, I, one of the things when she was writing this book, talking about feelings and emotions, she said, one of the ones that I didn't really know the difference of was between jealousy and envy. So she gave this example and she said, you know, the example is you see uh, pictures of someone else's like amazing vacation on Instagram, right? And you're like, oh, that looks awesome. And you think you would say, oh, I'm so jealous that you got to go on that trip. But it's actually envy. Because envy is normally between two people, right? And it's wanting what someone else has. But jealousy is normally between three people. And it's the fear of losing something you already have to someone else. I don't know, I just thought that example was like super helpful because I was like, I've done that, right? Like I've looked at pictures and thought, oh man, I'm so jealous that you get to be at the beach or somewhere else. But it's really like envy. It's like saying, I wanted the trip that you're having right now. Or I wanted the experience that you're having right now. Um, and so, uh, of course, get to share where this shows up in my own life. Like where has envy um, shown up in me? Where has it been a vice in my life? Um, and for most of you, maybe you know, or maybe you've heard me share, or maybe you haven't, um, but I'm 35, and I still have a desire to be married and have a family. Um, it happened for most of my friends and family, you know, in their 20s, and I really thought that that's when it was gonna happen for me, um, but obviously here we are, so it hasn't yet. Um, and man, that was a real point of contention for me. I would get these invitations, I would see these pictures and think, 
oh man, like they're getting what I want. And it was really hard, um, especially in a season where, um, and especially after college, in college, it just felt like it was happening for everybody else. And um, I really started to notice envy coming up in me. Um, when I would look at these pictures, when I would get these invitations, when I would, you know, go to the weddings. I went to one last night for my cousin, um, who's my same age. So it kind of gave me hope. I was like, yes. I was like, we're celebrating together. Um, we're the same age. And so, but for a long time, it was really hard. It was really hard for me to look at those pictures. It was really hard for me to go to those weddings and be like, I'm so happy for you. And in that moment I was, but when I was driving home in the car, I was like, I want that. Like, I don't want their spouse or like their actual child, right? Like, let's distinguish there. Um, thankful that they got them. But like, that's just something that has been in my story and is still a part of my story, right? Um, but thankfully, and as we're going to look at the end of our story, um, we're going to get to see that maybe some of the things that um, envy steals from us and envy takes from us, like the Lord can restore, right? Like that's always the hope. He's in the business of restoration. Um, and before we dig into Genesis uh, this morning, I just wanted to look at a couple of other scriptures to kind of frame our minds of like what envy looks like and some of the warnings and some of the things that scripture says. Um, and so the first one, right, as followers of Jesus, like we're wanting to become people of love. And the first thing in 1 Corinthians 13, 4, it says, love does not envy, right? Just right off the bat, love doesn't do this. In 1 Peter 2, 1, he says, rid yourselves of all, and he gives this big, long list. And part of that list is envy. James 3, 6, I thought this one was really interesting. Um, he talks about where there's envy, that there becomes disorder and every evil practice. Um, Galatians 5, 19 through 21, it, we see all these works of the flesh and envy is also in that list. Something that we're called to say, if we're walking with the spirit, this is something that shouldn't be in our camp, right? Mark 7, 21 and 22, again, it, it has this huge list about things that come out of a person that defile them, that make them unclean. And one of those things is envy. And then this last one, I did not know this until I was like studying and the Lord was like showing me things in scripture. Um, but uh, when in Matthew's gospel and in Mark's gospel, it talks about um, when Jesus was handed over to be crucified, Pilate is reflecting on this and it says, it was because of envy that they handed him over. Has anybody ever seen that? I was like, I don't know how I missed that. Like, I don't know how I've never caught on to that. But Pilate says, I know the reason that they handed him over. And it was because of envy, right? Like these religious leaders, these Pharisees were looking and they're seeing Jesus's ministry explode and he's doing things that they've never been able to do. And they're like, um, well, we don't want that happening anymore. Like that's like the ultimate, right? Like where envy can ultimately take us wanting to send somebody to their death because we want what they have now of course that's an extreme example and we're also going to look at another pretty extreme example in scripture today but I'm just saying that like as a warning like the Lord is like this isn't something that we play with like if you notice it like let's be a people that confess it 
that take it to him, that confess it to each other, right? Like, because we don't want it to get to this point to where somebody said, yeah, I know why that happened. And it was because she was full of envy. Yikes. Um, So we're gonna dig into our story today. We're gonna do a lot of reading. So if you have your Bible with you, it's gonna be really helpful. So we're gonna start in Genesis 37. Um, You're familiar with the story of Jacob and his sons or Israel and his sons. Um, These 12 guys, right, that become the tribes of Israel as we're gonna see as we walk through our story today. Um, And we're gonna kind of follow this story really of Joseph and his brothers. Um, So you've got those 12 brothers there and two of them um, are from a different mom, right? So there's already a little bit of a different dynamic going on here. But we're gonna start in Genesis 37, three through five. And we're gonna kind of go through the story. And at first I'm just gonna hold up some things um, maybe that envy can lead us to, right? I started us off pretty heavy. It's like, it can lead to murder. Um, and as we're, we'll see in the story today, it can, but there's some other things along the way that like, I just want us to notice, like envy can bring up this in us. Envy can lead to this. Envy can trick us and start us thinking like this if we're not careful, right? If we're not open to what the Spirit's doing. So in Genesis 37, three through five, this is kind of where the story uh, begins. So it says, now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons, right? That's not Joseph's fault. That's, That's the dad there. Because he had been born to him in his old age and he made an ornate robe for him. We're pretty familiar with that maybe. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. And Joseph had a dream and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. Now, again, I know some of you might be familiar with this story, but we're going to look at it this morning, hopefully with a different lens of seeing where these brothers uh, went wrong with letting their envy get out of control. So the first thing that envy can lead us to is to hate and quenching of the spirit. Um, (laughs) I hadn't noticed this either. I had noticed that they had hated him, but when it says they were not even able to speak a kind word to him. Kindness is a fruit of the spirit. And if you're not even able to speak a kind word to somebody, I hate to tell you, but that's quenching the spirit. That is not letting the spirit of God move through you. And so this is where we see it take root um, in Joseph's brothers. And this is where it can take root in us. So then in Genesis 37, 11, this is what it says. Joseph's brothers were envious and jealous of him, but his father kept the words of Joseph in mind, wondering about their meaning, talking about the dream that he just talked about. Um, and I, a lot of, and a lot of translations will just say jealous, um, but when you really look at the root um, and what's going on here, it really is envy that's taken over in them. And the next thing that envy can do is it can lead to severed, severed relationships. This is, these are brothers. This is family, right? This isn't even like somebody I see on Instagram or a friend maybe that I just meet with every once in a while. Like this is like blood family that there's this hatred because of the envy that they have for Joseph. So then we're gonna move into Genesis 37, 18 through 24. And this is what it says, but they saw him in the distance 
And before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes the dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. When Reuben heard of this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Let's throw him into the cistern here in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the ornate one he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. The cistern was empty and there was no water in it. This is like collective envy um, right here where it's like, again, they're willing to kill their brother because of this gifting of interpreting dreams and dreaming and this being loved by his father, this robe, all these different things led to them wanting to throw him in a pit to kill him. Thankfully, one of the siblings had some like sense about him, had some uh, Holy Spirit in him and said, hey, let's not kill him, let's just throw him in a pit, right? Um, So envy can lead to other sins and evil desires. And again, this, I, I say this today to say, um, I think the devil's really sneaky sometimes. We've seen in this series, it's like, oh, you know, it starts as like, we're kind of jealous of Joseph. No, now we envy him. We hate him, can't speak to him. No, like, we just need to get rid of him. Like, it's time. It's a pretty um, stark progression there that we don't want to be a part of. We don't want to let envy take root and lead to other sins and evil desires. Then in Genesis 37, 25 through 28, this is what we continue to read. As they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. So Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay a hand on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. And his brothers agreed. So when the Midianite merchants came, his brothers and Joseph pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 24 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. Um, at the beginning of this section, it says they sat down to eat their meal. What have they just done? Like they had just gone from this conversation of like plotting to kill their brother to like throwing him in the pit. And then they're like, well, we got to eat lunch. Let's, uh, let's forget what just happened over there. They like sit down to eat a meal. I'm like, what is happening here? Um, so that's another thing that envy can lead to. It can lead us to callous behavior and distorted thoughts. Again, like they're just sitting down eating, like not even thinking about what they're doing or what their um, evil desires are causing them to do. Then we move on in Genesis 37, 31 through 36. This is what it says. Then they got Joseph's robe. They slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in the blood. 
they took the ornate robe back to their father and said, we found this. Yeah. Examine it to see whether or not it's your son's robe. He recognized it and said, it is my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, and mourned for his son for many days. All his sons and daughters came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. No, he said, I will continue to mourn until I join my son in the grave. So his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. Um, And right here we see they're now getting out of their own little bubble and they're having to go tell their father what they've done or what they've let envy do in them, right? And we see this burden that Israel, that Jacob has, and he's like, what, like what happened? You know, and of course, like they're not gonna tell like what actually happened. Like, oh, we found this, look They don't even say what happened. They just let like, you know, um, his father believe that that that's what actually happened. So that's another thing that envy can lead us to. It can lead to lying, deception, and causing others pain. I hate um, in this section where you really get to see um, what their actions and what their decisions have caused Um, his father, right? And they're still not, like the only time that they were kind of remorseful was when, you know, they're like, well, maybe we shouldn't kill him. Like, let's just throw him in the pit. Like, that's the only um, recognition that they've had of where they've let envy lead them to. But it doesn't even say anything that they're moved by their father's pain. That they're moved by what they have caused in someone else because of what they've let the enemy do in their hearts. And man, we don't wanna be like that. So we're gonna like jump ahead. If you know the story in Genesis 38 through 41, um, Joseph is in Egypt and he goes through a lot of troubles. Um, He gets, you know, accused of something he doesn't do and then he gets thrown in prison and then he has dreams and interprets dreams and he's like, hey, remember me? And like, they forget about him. And then finally, Um, he's able to interpret Pharaoh's dreams and they remember him. And so he gets out of prison and Pharaoh's just so impressed with him that he's like, hey, come on, you've got to join me. So Pharaoh makes him governor of the land of Egypt, right? He gets promoted. Um, And we kind of pick up in Genesis 42. And uh, this is where there's a famine in the land of Egypt. And so Jacob, being the wise father that he is, sends his other sons and he said, hey, We're gonna die if we stay here and do nothing. You guys have gotta go to Egypt and you guys have gotta come back and bring us food. And so Joseph's brothers go to Egypt um, and they, of course, get brought into Joseph's uh, office and because he's the one in charge of the land and they don't recognize him, but he recognizes them. I think that's such an interesting detail in the story that like he remembers and that even kind of tells you about something about envy, right? Like they don't even like, they wouldn't even recognize what he looked like. Maybe some of that's because he was in Egypt and they had like the interesting wear and garb and all that. But I think it is really interesting that they don't even remember what their brother looks like because they've been so clouded by this envy. So we're gonna read in Genesis 42, 8, 
through 13 to continue on with the story. It says, on the third day, Joseph said to them, do this and you will live, for I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers stay here in prison while the rest of you go and take grain back for your starving households, but you must bring your youngest brother to me, right? This would have been the same one um, that was born of his uh, mother, so that your words may be verified and that you may not die. This they proceeded to do. They said to one another, surely we are being punished because of our brother. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with, with us for his life, but we would not listen, and that's why this distress has come on us. Reuben replied, didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy? But you wouldn't listen. Now we must give an accounting for his blood. They did not realize that Joseph could understand them since he was using an interpreter. He turned away from them and began to weep, but then came back and spoke to them again. He had Simeon taken from them and bound before their eyes. Um, and we're gonna continue on in verses 18 through 24 because you're just gonna get to see this progression of the story. Um, is there a slide for that one? Yeah. On the third day, Joseph said to them, do this and you will live for I fear God. If you're an honest man, let one of your brothers go down. Oh, is that the same thing? I think that's the same thing. That's okay. Go ahead and go to the next one. Yeah. So then... Um, they go back to their father, Jacob, and he says to them, you have deprived me of my children because Joseph has asked for them to also bring Benjamin back before he's gonna give them any grain. Joseph is no more and Simeon is no more. And now you want to take Benjamin? Everything is against me. Then Reuben said to his father, you may put both of my sons to death if I do not bring him back to you. Entrust him to my care and I will bring him back. But Jacob said, my son, will not go down there with you. His brother is dead, Joseph, and he is the only one left. If harm comes to him on the journey you are taking, you will bring my gray head down to the grave in sorrow. I also think it's very interesting that it, still at this point, this is years later, they have never confessed to their father what's actually happened. Like so far removed, but they still cannot bring themselves to say, this is what happened. They'll say it to themselves, but they won't say it to their father. They won't confess it. And then in Genesis 43, um, we see that uh, again, Benjamin or Jacob is just overtaken by what has happened um, with his sons. So let's continue on in Genesis 45, verses one through five, um, because this is where we start to see the redemption. This is where we start to see that only what God can do through our sin is gonna make a difference. So Joseph could no longer control himself before all of his attendants and he cried out, have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph has said to his brothers, I'm Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now don't be distressed 
and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. What is this interaction? Joseph is so overcome with emotion to see them. And of course, they're, when they recognize it, they're like, oh no. He's still alive and here he is. What's going on? But do you notice Joseph's response to them? Don't be angry with yourselves. Don't be distressed. I don't know that that would have been my first response um, to my siblings who had thrown me a pit and allowed, into a pit and allowed me to be sold into slavery. But that's what God can do. He can restore. He can heal. Then in Genesis 45, um, in a couple of verses here, we see this. And he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. Afterwards, his brother talked with him. Never mind about your belongings, Joseph says, because the best of all of Egypt will be yours. And then he said to his brothers on the way, and as they were leaving, he said to them, don't quarrel on the way. What a gift he is giving to his brothers. It's almost like he's completely forgotten about everything that has happened and all the things that have led him to the place that he is now, starting with them. And why is that? Because he's been walking with the Lord and he's been looking to him, whereas his brothers have just still been in deception They've still been in lying. They've still been around their father who's been grief-stricken. But in God's mercy, Joseph is able to forgive them, to do good to them. And then we get to the final end of this story. Um, and we see that Jacob um, is dying and he brings all 12 of his sons in to bless them as the tribes of Israel. Um, and I just think that's so beautiful because even after learning what actually happened between his sons, he still says, I'm going to bless all of you out of obedience to the Lord. And so this is the final thing that we see in Joseph's story in Genesis 50, verses 14 through 21. After bringing his father, Joseph returned to Egypt together with his brothers and all the others who had gone with him to bury his father. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they, said, they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to my son, Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brother the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When this message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him saying, we are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid, I will provide for you and for your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. 
Is that not beautiful? That is what can happen when we give the Lord what we're struggling with. When we tell the Lord, um, I could have been bitter about this. I could have still been caught um, even in envy over what his brothers, the life that his brothers have gotten to have with his father. But that's what can happen is God can heal and restore what the enemy stole from us through envy. We see it in the story of Joseph and Joseph, and we can see it in our lives as well. So what does this mean for us as we're followers of Jesus? What does this look like in our story? In Luke 15, 25 through 32, this is the end um, of the story of the prodigal son or of the running father. And when I thought, what does Jesus want to teach us about not envying? How does he want to instruct us? How does he want to help us resist this vice from the enemy? And we get to the end of this uh, parable of two sons and one son has left and taken his inheritance and gambled it away. And um, his father, again, has been mourning for him, waiting for him to come back. And then he comes back, he throws a party, rightfully so, right? His son's not dead, he's back. And then we get to see this interaction with the older brother or the older son. Um, And I kind of want us to think back of this analogy at the very beginning with the kids and their parents of like getting what somebody else has or um, what what parents have given their kids. And this is what he says. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called out to one of his servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, All these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. You never gave me even a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has um, squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you're always with me. Everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. We see this older brother really grappling with some envy here, don't we? He's saying, I want that. I want a party. I want your love to be shown for me like that. I want you to give me that. And what does the father say? I can't believe you. I can't believe that you would talk to me like this. I can't believe that you would like want what your brother has. Can you not even be happy? That's not what the father does, is it? I love you. Everything I have is yours. 
But we've also got to celebrate what's going on with your brother. That he's come home. Don't let this envy keep you on the outside. Because that's what envy can do. It puts us on the outside, right? Of looking at what someone else has. It keeps us from celebrating our brothers and sisters or even mourning with those who lost. He didn't, like, he was not sad about his brother leaving in the first part of the story. He was like, well, probably good riddance. But his father has been pained and he's hurt and he's not even being willing to mourn with him. That's what envy blocks us from. It even blinds us from our own significance in God. He's so concerned with looking at his brother, he can't even see what the father has already given him. Everything I have is yours. I love you. You you didn't have to go off into the far country. You've been here with me all along. Can't you see I've given you everything you need? Can't you see it's enough? Can't you see that I... I'm enough for you. You don't have to look at what your brother has. You don't have to envy what your neighbor has. You don't have to let envy blind you from what our father wants to give you. Because envy is ultimately saying that we don't trust our father to give us what we need because we're focused on what he's giving someone else, right? At the end of the day, if we trust that we have a good God, a perfect God, a loving father, and he's saying, I wanna give that to so-and-so. I see fit to give that to your brother or your sister. If we have envy in our hearts towards them, it's because we do not trust our father to give us exactly what we need as his kid, right? That's what we've got to settle in our hearts today is our relationship with with our father. He's saying, you can trust who I am and what I have for you and what I have for everyone else. I just, again, love how he responds to the older brother. There's no condemnation. There's just assurance of his place with him and his affection for him. He desires for us to see him as a good father and that he's sovereign over our lives and over the lives of others. And that's what frees us to trust him, to live open-handed and to celebrate what he's doing in others, to mourn when others are mourning That's what we get to do when we live open-handed. That's how I've seen the Lord transform um, envy in me. It wasn't that, it isn't that I'll never say, oh man, I I still really wanna be married. I still really wanna have a family. But it's taking it to the Lord and saying, this is a desire that I have. This is something that I want. And I trust that you're gonna do that in your timing. I trust that what you have for me is good. And that means I can celebrate with others, truly celebrate with them, even though they're getting something that I want. 
because I know we have a good father. And if he's giving that to them, I get to trust that in him. I get to trust that for me. And it also is that piece of mourning, right? Like I'm not gloating and celebrating when it's like, oh man, I hate that you lost that job that I really wish I had. That's what envy can do in us too, right? So when we're really free from envy and we're trusting our Father, we can live open-handed. And that means we get to live in joy for Him. Um, in Romans 12, 5 and 15, we see this idea of this beautiful one another, of getting to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep and getting to see that the Lord has given each gifts and talents and abilities and we get to celebrate that in each other. We don't get to say, well, just because you got that, I'm gonna like sit over here on the outside of the house, right? Like the older brother. It's saying, no, even I may want that life I may want that job. I may want that scenario. But because we have a good father, I don't have to envy that. I can give that to him. I can confess that to him and trust that what he's doing is perfect in each one of our lives. So I'm gonna call Mark and the team on up. I want us, as we think about this again, we're gonna um, confess here in a minute but I want us to write a different story as the people of God. I don't wanna see any more Joseph and his brother stories. I don't even wanna see any more prodigal son, older brother, younger brother stories. I want us to be a people and a church that find beauty in the story that God is writing for each one of his children and the ways that he's providing for them and the ways that he's providing for us. So may we celebrate each other's wins and circumstances and may we mourn each other's losses and circumstances because he is a good father that's able to be trusted. So we've done this at the end of every week. Um, and if you want, I wanna invite you to stand and we're gonna confess together before we worship. powerful to communally confess things. Let's read this together. Father, forgive us, for we have envied people created in your image. We have desired their gifts, their talents, and their lives more than we have desired your will, plan, and glory. Forgive us by the power of Jesus' blood. We know envy is no match for your love mercy and grace. Forgive us when we grumble over how you bless others and help us be grateful for all the ways you have kindly blessed us. In Jesus' name, amen.